You are listening to the Back Pain Podcast, episode 105. Questions from the audience, tape, rollers, and acute versus chronic. We're answering your questions, so let's go. Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So, if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. Today, we're uh, answering questions from the audience. We're talking about tape, that's kinesio tape foam rollers and acute versus chronic what does it mean this episode is for anyone with back pain or who knows someone with back pain and wants to discover more about what is going on my name is dave elliott and i'm joined by my fantastic co-host rob bevan hi rob good evening david so we gather these questions from what I've called the audience, uh, essentially from our listeners and anyone who's on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, our fantastic Facebook, uh, Facebook group, the Back Pain and Sciatica Support Group that we host and moderate on Facebook. It's a fantastic group. If you haven't joined already and you suffer from back pain or sciatica, please do go and join. So we get these questions daily, we compile them, we try and get back to everyone that we possibly can. And what we do when we ask something repeatedly or sort of um, uh, in different fashions, we try and make that into an interesting podcast so that we can talk to all of you en masse and hopefully catch those questions before they arise. Does that sound about right, Rob? Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. As you said, these questions come up all the time. So, you know, we might have covered bits of these on previous episodes before as well. So it's just about, you know, obviously this stuff is is needed. So we kind of that's rooting through the Facebook group to work out exactly what you guys want to hear from us, really. Absolutely. And even if we are repeating ourselves, maybe if we keep repeating ourselves, we'll say it in a way that appeals to you. Um, or maybe we'll just bloody well get it right. Uh, so let, let, let's kick off. Um, we're going to start off with our first question today, Rob. Now, uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of paraphrase here, okay? So uh, the question says, I don't understand the difference between acute versus chronic. I thought my pain has been chronic, but it's been described as acute. Now, uh, essentially, what I think they're saying is they have said, you know, that they've described their pain as chronic to someone. But a practitioner, a doctor, chiro, physio, osteo, whoever it is, some sort of musculoskeletal health practitioner has described it as acute pain. So are they wrong? Um, is the practitioner wrong? Is the patient wrong? What is this difference between acute and chronic? What does it mean? Yeah, this is a really good question. I think where this has been tied up or got, the confusion gets is kind of within our lexicon, we use the word chronic often to mean something's really bad, don't we? You know, we use that word chronic outside of the medical term as, you know, if someone says, oh, there's a chronic smell or if there's something chronic, it generally means quite bad. Mm. Um, And I think that then, you know, when someone's describing chronic back pain or acute back pain, if they say chronic, people often assume that it means worse. And in a similar story, um, you know, to the question which which was put up, I saw another post a couple of days ago where someone wrote, I just saw on my notes that my back pain was described as chronic um, and my doctor had never told me this, you know, and, and so that's kind of the opposite way. What these actually refer to by acute and chronic 
is the time frame. And that's all they mean. So when someone describes a chronic pain or your, your back pain is now chronic or whatever it is, it's referring to the time that you've had it for. So in the medical term of chronic, we're talking about something that's been there for over, over 12 weeks, over three months. That's kind of what we're looking for. Anything under that is subacute or acute and acute usually being referred to as within four weeks of an injury. So if you hurt your back yesterday, you might describe what you've had as an acute injury or an acute episode or acute episode of lower back pain. Whereas if you've been struggling for something with, for quite a few months, then, you know, as if people often describe that as, as now a chronic issue or a chronic back pain, that doesn't mean it's not going to get better. That doesn't mean it's more severe or worse or more damaged or more broken, nothing like that. It simply re- is referring as descriptor of the of the of the time that you've had the pain for. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this is just a measurement of time then. So, so really what we've got is a butting of heads between, uh, you know, modern day language, how we're using these words, like you said, in the modern lexicon in our, in our standard way of talking comparative to medical language. Uh, and they're using the same words, but actually for, for different meanings. Yeah. And obviously chronic obviously refers to the Dr. Dre album, I think, wasn't it called the chronic? <laughs> Uh, that's exactly it. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, we've got, you know, is it Greek god Kronos? Um, probably god of time and edible underwear. Um, yeah. I, I think so. So actually, it is purely a measurement of time, not how bad it is. Um, so you're you're probably not being misheard or or misrepresented by that healthcare professional. They're just using the same language in the medical sense. And if it's to another medical practitioner, which likely it is by the um, uh, the outline of this question, they'll know what they mean. So they're using a, a medical um, uh, jargon to talk to each other. Yeah, and I think we do that a lot. And I think that's something which a good healthcare professional should navigate the waters well with you. And you know, the skill in a with with, a, with any medical practitioner is going from medical language to patient language, and that's something which is very hard to do. You know, when we were, you know, you we go to university and we sit there learning about you know scapulars and clavicles, and then you come out and you say that to you know a lot of people, a lot of patients, when talking about their shoulder, for example, and that doesn't mean anything. So you have to use collarbone and shoulder blade. You know, that is, you know, the part of our journey as healthcare practitioners is learning the language to use. So. I think it's a vital part of, of the experience. If people are using terms which you don't understand, ask, you know, simply ask. And that not only will that help you, it'll help that practitioner learn that, oh, actually, maybe a lot of people are misunderstanding me or not quite getting where I'm coming from. So maybe it might help them change their approach as well. So another good another good point there. Absolutely. Okay. I like it. Um, so question number two, Rob. Um, this is a nice, easy one. What does tape do? Now, for this question, we're going to assume that the uh, the asker um, uh, was referring to movement tape, so a kinesio tape, rock tape, sport tape kind of thing. You'll see it on a lot of athletes um, and non-athletes as well. So, Rob, what does mm. tape do? Good, good, good question. And I might make some enemies by uh, by. <laughs> you know, by saying this, but it doesn't really do an awful lot. And it definitely doesn't do a lot of the claims that people think tape does, you know, whether, you know, we've had all sorts of people asking about it, supporting muscles and revitalizing organs and draining your blood and lymph and all those type of things. It doesn't do that. The what, you know, it's a, it's elasticated tape at the end of the day. It doesn't do anything magical. What I like to explain that tape does to patients who ask me about it um, is it simply is changing some sensation from a painful area to a non-painful area. So when you, you know, if you bash your shin, 
you, you often rub it and you're simply just kind of changing some of the sensory or changing some of the sensation from that painful area hopefully kind of you know making it making it a bit less painful and that's pretty much all i would describe it for for a patient so i'll use the words it doesn't do anything magical it doesn't do anything fancy some patients love the idea of being taped and they go yes this it feels fantastic when my last person taped me brilliant and i think that's the important thing is if it helps you there's very little downside to using something like tape and if you know you've come to me and you say yeah this tape really helped when the last person put it on me and i felt stronger and i moved more because of it then fantastic and that's what we should be using anything which we use in our treatment room we should be using it to support patients and by support i mean encourage their kind of activities of daily living um, support them doing exercises i don't mean the support in terms of structural support Um, and that's what we should be using tape for that's what it does it might give you that kind of feedback of where you are in space and some people like that and i'm saying this as someone i'm not a big user of tape I do use it occasionally, but mainly in patients who I you know, have used it before um, and it's uh, you know and got some benefit from it. So I kind of you know don't I don't mind using it in in those situations. I don't know if you do similar. Yeah, do you know what? Tape kind of came relatively hot out the gates, didn't it? Um, especially with the, the, there was a big emergence of the the CrossFit crowd um, and all the rest. Um, I think it was the Olympics. Yeah. Was it was it twenty twelve? Yeah. Yeah, that was when the there was a there was a photo on the Times or I say the Times, any of the other newspapers are available. Um, a one of the newspapers of I think it was a volleyball player or a beach volleyball player, and she had tape all over her stomach. Um, and you might remember it was like an octopus kind of down her stomach, and it became very fashionable. I remember that's when we we graduated around that time, and everybody it was like the be all and end all of all treatment, wasn't it? Kind of using tape. Now at the time. Um all this was going on. There was, there was huge marketing campaigns and loads and loads of um, claims that was made by these tape companies of what the tape could do. And do you know what, with these scientific claims? Yeah, I used a lot of tape as well. There wasn't many a patient I had without a sticky arm or a sticky leg for a while. And I mean, it's sort of self-marketing this tape. There were athletes, TV presenters, people down the gym with these brightly colored stripes all over them. Um, so it, it gained a lot of interest and it looked quite cool when you looked very sporty doing it. However, over the next couple of years, a lot of these claims pretty quickly became debunked. You know, actually, it turns out they didn't quite do what they said it did. A lot of people got a bit annoyed having half their skin, hair, and um, uh, follicles being ripped off every session. And I think the, the real use of it did boil down to that change in proprioceptive nature. So that change in sensation and... Um, uh, sensitivity over the affected area means your brain's got something else to focus on. It's going to focus on the change in skin rather than the, the pain itself. So you can um, affect pain, but it's not going to support like they said it would. It's not mm. going to switch muscles on or, or turn them off or, or change their actual habits. As far as we know at the moment, that's not actually how it works. But like Rob said, if you use it regularly, if it's something which you love, and especially those um, uh, people doing sport competitions or um, uh, I don't know, some sort of race, and if you've always been taped up, look, get taped up again. It's not going to do any harm. That's what we do know. Yeah, exactly. I, I would put a caveat on that of, you know, 
if you're of not being dependent on something and that goes for anything really not just tape you know if, what you wouldn't want to be in a situation is reliant on something and then potentially not having access to that at, at, on a session and then you know if that's an important race or an important event maybe you know not performing where you want to be because you might not have had your your, your magic tape with you I mean, that's a small caveat but that's probably a very very small percentage of the people that would use tape and i think even most people who use it on a regular basis won't be in that situation really absolutely yeah and i think certainly if you listen to this podcast and you've, you've had tape before and you found it, it's worked bloody great fantastic we're not saying you're wrong yeah um it, it does work for certain things it just doesn't hasn't been shown yet to work for a lot of these big claims which has been made over the years yeah and it's why it works, isn't it? Really, that's kind of what it what it boils down to. As with a lot of the stuff that we've spoken about, is is why it works. If it if it helps, brilliant. But it's often not working for the reasons that you might think it is. And uh, and again, a lot of people say that doesn't really matter. And brilliant, that's that's what we're saying. It often doesn't matter. Um, and I think the other thing to think about is, you know, there's a lot of stuff from tape companies about how it's applied, and you know, a lot of kind of theatrical magic goes into. It's got to be pulled in this direction, and oh, we don't want a fifty percent stretch. It's got to be a seventy five percent stretch for an ankle sprain or a low back, but no more than that. You know, that's kind of you know a bit a bit of nonsense really anyway it matters very little how it's applied or who it's applied by so you can buy your own tape you can get someone get get your you know partner you know dog whoever to to apply it for you and you know the, the effect's going to be very similar i think that's an important important thing to note well there goes our tape sponsorship for the next episode rob thanks very much yeah no worries. <laughs> <laughs> but look we're saving the trouble of walking around with sticky legs guys yeah making friends in uh in podcast land since uh since 2019. When do we start? Yeah, 2019. Yeah. Always. Come at us, rock tape. Um, yeah. We're not trying to sell you anything, guys, so we can say it easy. It doesn't quite work quite like yeah. we thought it did. Oh, well. On to the next. Uh, Rob, question number three. Foam rolling. Okay, so, again, foam rolling is something which has burst onto the scene again. Loads of claims about it. Do this. Don't do that. Um, there's uh, loads of people trying to sell foam rollers, and, and foam rolling yeah. kind of... Um, with foam rolling, I'm going to put tennis ball and, um, uh, you know, other self-myofascial release methods. There was a, a whole movement um, uh, across sport and um, uh, sort of activities uh, of, of doing this. Now, the question just says foam rolling, question mark. Uh, but I'll put this as, uh, again, I'll paraphrase. I'll put this as, what are your thoughts on foam rolling for people with back pain, Rob? How about that? Very awesome. Again, I think... Mm, difficult one again we might lose some friends my uh kind of thoughts around foam rolling are quite actually probably quite similar to those around tape really everyone's seen a foam roller they come in kind of all different shapes and sizes and some vibrate and some have got you know bobbles on and some are smooth and big and tall and i've seen people using copper pipes to foam roll with and and everything and it's usually the thing which is gathering dust in the corner of kind of in, in, the, in the gym after they kind of have gone out of fashion a bit more i think there are a lot of spurious claims similar to tape about what foam rolling do, does and this is often around kind of increasing blood flow breaking down adhesions you know releasing scar tissue all those type of things and i think at the end of the day what foam rolling does is it's effectively self-massage and that's it and that's you know what massage does similar to massage 
a foam roller doesn't break up scar tissue. It doesn't break down adhesions. It doesn't change the structure of your muscles or anything like that as well. The force you'd need to do that would be enough to break your bones, you know, let alone you're not going to change the shape of your of your muscles. Go and go and roll out a stake with a foam roller and see how much uh, <laughs> see how much impact and, and see how much impact it has on it. Think about then how sharp a knife it has to be to actually kind of, you know, change the shape of that stake. Mm. Generally, it's it yeah, it's going to be pretty pretty significant anyway. So I think that, you know, like with tape, you know, people foam roll a lot and you get a lot of athletes, for example, or gym goers who think that, yeah, warming up with a foam roller or warm, cooling down with a foam roller helps them a lot. And again, like tape, if they find that that helps them and that's an important part of their warm up or warm down to whether that's get them mentally ready, whether it's get, getting them kind of in the zone before they perform or compete or train, then yeah, I've got no problems with that. As long as they're understanding what it's actually doing. If they think that they need to foam roll to remove the the scar tissue and pump out the lactate from your body before you then go and squat again, then you don't. There's a lot of other things that you might find are more beneficial. Um, or say, same with the cool down. You know, you might find that actually getting home 15 minutes early, hydrating quicker and going to bed a bit earlier is going to be more be- more beneficial than than flapping around on a foam roller for twenty minutes after after your <laughs> after your tra- after your training session. So I think that's what it is. It's kind of it's self massage, and that's all it is at the end of the day. It doesn't do anything magic, but if you find it helps, by all means. Specifically for back pain, I think a lot of people I've seen it. I've seen people in the gym, you know, pushing a lot through pain, thinking that oh, I need to stretch over this. I need to roll out my ITBs and my lower back, and they're grimacing in pain because it's so painful. And, you know, I'm never a fan of doing anything or encouraging people to do stuff which is actively causing pain. I don't think that's a good place to be. I don't know about you, but, you know, we know that when people are in pain, they seize up, they get tighter and you're not going to want to do it. So, you know, the whole part of any exercise plan or recovery from back pain is trying to find things which patients really enjoy doing and, you know, enjoy. And if they hate doing it, they're not going to do it at the end of the day. It's only going to make them stiffer and tighter. So, you know, I can't remember the last time I ever gave anyone anything to do on a foam roller. Maybe that's just me. Um, but I still see, you know, claims from Instagram posts and blog posts and all sorts of things from a whole manner of healthcare professionals kind of saying, oh, you're my five best things to do on a foam roller after exercise. And I'm sure you do too, really. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I would hypothesize that it's not the actual foam rolling, but the time dedicated to stretching, moving, um, focusing on a certain body area, probably the, the physicality of getting down on the floor and stretching for five or 10 minutes over the top of that foam roller is yeah. possibly, in my opinion, the most important part. And it just happens that you're on top of a foam roller. You could be on top of a plum, I don't know. Um, uh, but it, <laughs> it, it, it's actually the, the physicality of getting off the sofa and moving yourself. If you're doing this as a warm-up pre, um, uh, pre-workout, for instance, it's probably because you're just doing a fucking warm-up for the first time. Just because you've yeah. got a foam roller <laughs> yeah. underneath you, you almost is immaterial. You should be on the yeah. floor You're basically stretching. doing a press-up or a plank, or you? Well, are exactly. you basically in that to, and, to foam roll? You know, if you want to stretch and... Fo- oh, sorry, if you want to foam roll your hamstrings, well, you do have to get into like an elongated hamstring position, which you probably haven't been in all day because you've been in the car or at the desk. So yeah. I, I would suggest it might be the actual physical action of doing this foam rolling rather than the actual supposed benefit of the foam rolling itself. 
With that being said, yeah. just squish your muscles around a little bit. You know, it's going to, again, it's going to change proprioception, which is a really fancy podcasty way of saying it's going to change the way your brain listens to pain and understands pain. So if you do foam roll and it feels better afterwards, look, great, but it's probably not for the, the original um, advertised reason of breaking down fascia and reorganizing uh, muscles yeah. and who bloody knows. Um, the same goes for rolling on tennis balls and, and, and golf balls and that sort of stuff. It doesn't mean that it's bad. Yeah. It means that actually, yeah, do you know what, guys? It's probably just the fact you've actually got off your buns and dedicated five, 10 minutes to that particular muscle group, which it needed anyway. At the same breath as that, I think if you are looking to foam roll or if you've been doing foam rolling for a long time, there's been a weird like sadist, uh, sadomasochistic movement of harder and nobblier foam rollers. I saw one the other day that looked like some sort of Victorian torture device, um, all spikes <laughs> and nobbles and, and um, uh, I don't know, it, just looked, it looked like something you'd beat up a burger with, to be honest. Um, <laughs> now, um, for me... You make some it, schnitzels, yeah. Uh, that's it, yeah. Um, for me, I think if you're going to do this, you might as well not be in immense pain unless that's what you're after, in which case you've got a whole other issue. Um, I, I think that <laughs> use the softest, most gentle foam roller possible because we know that actually all we're looking to do is squish those muscles around a bit and change the way your brain feels pain. So you might as well do that comfortably. Now, this isn't me just wussing out. If I've got something comfortable and not horrible that I need to do for the next 10 minutes, I'm probably going to do it more often. I'm going to leave it till later less, and I'm going to bloody well get it done every day. So if I can do it comfortably with a nice soft um, uh, foam roller, brilliant, because then I'll actually bloody do it, opposed to having to psych myself up for using my Hmm. vibrating 12 nobbles, three foot long, hardcore foam roller. What good is that doing me at all? And like Rob said, yeah. if you're listening to this podcast, guys, you're probably in pain. Stop giving yourself more pain. That's not how it works, yeah. especially through the back. I'm, I'm really rarely seeing anyone do anything good for the spine on a foam roller um, because spines aren't meant to be rolled over by, um, uh, by hard tubes. Um, humans have been on this earth for quite some time. So we don't tend to let things roll over us. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wouldn't advise it or off the bat for back specifically, but as we're branching out from just being backs these days, guys, yeah, if you're foam rolling your calves or your hamstrings or your quads or whatever, great, but think to yourself, or do you know what, try it. What would happen if I just gave a good bit of movement and a stretch and a mobilize and a, and a movement session? What would happen if I went on YouTube and looked up 10-minute hamstring mobilization or yoga or Pilates or stretch activation session? Would it have the same outcome as nailing myself on my Victorian Torture Master 3000 that I bought off of Alibaba? I bet it would. <laughs> yeah, very and I think that a really nice point to mention there is about warm-ups as well in general and it's something we also get asked a lot about is kind of warming up in the gym or I had an injury mm. because I didn't warm up or I had an injury because I didn't foam roll that one time and you know from my own experience this is how I warm up and Twitter might throw the book at me but you know I think this is kind of where the evidence is sitting is you know warming up for an exercise should be incorporate the exercise that you're going to do. So when, when if I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to do some squats, I will warm up for the session by doing squats. I won't spend 20 minutes, you know, flapping around on a foam roller or, you know, stats just stuck in weird positions trying to get there. I will do some bodyweight squats. I will get some bar light barbells and do some squats, some, some medicine balls, some kettlebells, some goblet squats. 
to warm up. So I'll do the exercise that I'm going to do as a warm up for what I'm going to do. If that makes sense, you know, so I'll get it. And that's going to be a far better way of getting your blood flowing. You were talking about, you know, do people foam roll, you know, as you know, you've seen on foam roller packages, you know, increases blood flow to the area. So does walking. So does walking up a flight of stairs. That's going to get the blood going far more than rolling around on a on a Victorian torture device. <laughs> I quite like that term. I think we're going to stick with that. Basically pushing your blood a little, an inch upwards. Yeah, as if it wasn't going to get there anyway. Yeah. And do you know what? Look, let's and take the, the, oh, sorry, mate. Um, I'm cracking on. Um, let's take the factors around not foam. So let's say that, yeah, um, let's set the example of someone um, not foam rolling for a gym session and then they injured themselves. Oh, it's because I didn't foam roll. Well, actually, yeah, let's, let's take all those other factors. Okay, so you were late to the gym, so you didn't have time to foam roll. But actually, it's probably more the fact that you didn't. You were late to the gym, so you didn't also have time to warm up properly. You went straight into it. You were late, so you went straight out of the car or straight from a stressful work environment. Whatever it is, you just bossed straight into a workout because you didn't have time. Rather than the actual foam rolling, it was probably the the act of arriving 15 minutes early to the gym, getting a nice little warm-up, doing some extra lower weight sets and reps of the Mentally the, preparing yourself, yeah. Uh, that exercise, yeah, exactly. Mentally preparing yourself, uh, doing a little bit of cardio or wiggling around, having a nice stretch, taking those first couple sets easy. So if you rush to the gym on a Monday morning because you slept in for 10 minutes or you're, you're late on a Thursday afternoon because you had to spend an extra half hour at work, it's probably not the fact you didn't foam roll. It's all those other factors joined in that are actually the cause, which is um, uh, yeah. uh, probably like 90% of our work week, guys, is explaining to people that it was the, the 80% of factors in their week rather than that, that um, small 20% of factors that they're focusing on that could cause or help their pain. Yeah, no, and, and that's exactly right. And it's, it's looking at the bigger picture rather than that one single episode, really, isn't it? Yeah, and that, that works well. And, you know, looking at that mo- mobility, you know, going back a bit, I was going to jump in earlier, but I didn't want to interrupt you. The Looking at that mobility, I find that, you know, the best way to improve your mobility, whether that's your hips, your knees, you know, for something like a squat or a deadlift or a hamstring touch is loading up that position. You know, get, you know the best way to get a deeper squat is to put some weight on your back and drop down into a deeper squat. You know, that's going to be a far better way of mobilizing you for squats um, by low, you know, getting stronger in those positions. And it doesn't mean you have to put 100 kilos on your back and drop down ass to grass straight away, but you can just build up to that position a bit slower. You know, you can do some mini squats and every squat, and I, I say this with patients now, you know, we're going to do some squats. Let's start doing some mini squats and every every set, every rep, just try and go a little bit lower every time and just gradually improve that depth. And you'll find that once you start getting a little bit mobile, a little bit warm, it'll be a lot more comfortable to do. We've not yet found, they might be out there, but we've not yet found ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs of pharaohs rolling out on um, uh, granite foam rollers before they shifted those big stones in place. We don't stumble across Amazonian tribes trying to fashion kinesio tape out of banana leaves. Um, it's not something which is necessarily needed. I think it's a fantastic exercise in marketing and um, frivolous Alibaba spends, quite frankly. Um, Yeah, uh, yeah, I I think we're not focusing. uh, And I think it actually distracts you from the proper focus, like Rob said, of good quality repetition, good quality form, and just repeating that exercise and getting good at that one thing. And instead we're focusing on the shiny object, the the Amazon next day delivery, 
And we're worrying about that instead of, did I sleep properly? Instead of, have I sat at my desk all day? Instead of, have I done a bloody warm up? That's what we should be thinking about. Yeah. Have I eaten poorly today? Am I hydrated enough? You know, all those little factors that people often won't pay attention to really, will they? So no, it's it's looking at the bigger picture. And uh, yeah, and I think that that's what it boils down to. You know, the, there are probably some better things that you could be doing with your time. But if you feel you need that to get into the mental headspace, then, and it helps your pain, it's kind of, you know, yes, there probably are better things you can be doing, but, you know, there's very little damage unless you're devoting, as I said, 25 minutes of your entire gym session to needing to foam roll or you're kind of, you know, reliant on, on using that. But uh, Yeah, for, I mean, look, for anyone who's ever battered a steak or a, a pork chop or something like that, if you were to take a rolling pin and roll it over a pork chop, the same sort of... Um, uh, weight that you'd put for, through a foam roller, nothing would happen at all. Think about how much power you have to put through a meat tenderizing hammer um, to, mm. to actually break those tissues down. Now, this is not yeah. me saying go out and get a meat tenderizing hammer. That's dead hammer. tissue. That's don't the forget. Only way to do it. <laughs> well, yeah. this is dead end grain tissue. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not. It's not adaptable. It's not recoverable. All the things which you are. So, I think that's another important. No, because yes, you can change the structure of dead tissue by hitting it with a hammer. You could probably change the structure of your own tissue with with, with some hammer, but you wouldn't want to. You probably wouldn't be doing it in the gym. You'd probably be in A and E. So uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Please don't do that, folks. Yeah, and the same thing goes for massage guns. Really, for everything that we've said, um, mm. you know, similar thing with massage guns. You know, do they increase blood flow? Yeah, but so does walking. So if yeah, that uh, probably maybe a conversation for a different day. I think we have covered massage guns before, actually, on this show too. I think so. Yeah, and uh, guys, th- this content isn't. Uh, we are very happy to be proved wrong on this. By the way, as time changes, so will the the research. So. If research suddenly changes and um, and actually we find all these fantastic new um, uh, benefits, of course, look, we're going to have a whole new episode putting our hands up saying we were wrong, but we're only following the research at the time. Um, so yeah. currently, as it stands, these are our thoughts. Perfect. Sounds good. Well, I hope you've enjoyed that kind of yeah, AMA. Ask me. I think that's the, that, what they use on, on Reddit these days. AMA, ask me anything, ask us anything, whatever you want to call it, of kind of our, our top tips. As Dave said at the beginning, if you do have any questions for us, you can always email us, hello at the Back Pain Podcast, and we get a, a myriad of emails. Apologies if we don't get back to everyone straight away, but we'd always get back to you as soon as we can. But pop a question on the Facebook group if you'd like us to get back to you a little bit quicker. As a reminder, that is the Sciatica and Back Pain Support Group. Simply search that on Facebook and it'll come up. Or Twitter, uh, Instagram, at the Back Pain Pod. I said Instagram's pretty good. We do occasional lives and questions on there as well, which is uh, always very beneficial for, for our listeners. Also, if you are struggling with back pain, and this one is really important, if you're someone who has back pain, and are struggling and really need someone who's tried trustworthy to help you then head on over to our website www.thebackpainpodcast.com and you can simply pop in your postcode to our providers map and you can find someone as i said tried and trusted local to you to help out with your back pain a lot of these people do virtual consults as well so if there's not someone within a, a safe distance to you then you can always call them up and you can book a virtual consultation as well which are very useful if you just need some guidance some tips some interpretation of some mri results or or just some general advice that's what we and that's what our network is there for so please reach out if you do need anything at all absolutely fantastic thank you so much um, uh, we're constantly clearing these um, these questions up, Rob. I love it. I think, um, uh, like I said, we're not making many friends in the um, the fitness accessory industry. One day, maybe we'll find one that we like. 
ad, the adjunct industry is that what it is uh, quite yeah the accompaniment um, um, but look uh, thank you so much for joining me keep your questions coming guys we'll keep firing them back uh, this has been the Backpain Podcast episode 105 love you goodbye